Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice, mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. So welcome to this special episode of Dentology, the business of dentistry podcast. And today, it is just myself and Chris. How are you doing? I'm very good. I'm very good. It's very special. Uh, Andy, you you are my guest and likewise you are my guest brilliant we are both guests on our own podcast so there's a lot of chatter about the demand for dental practices uh, what's driving demand has demand changed uh, why certain practices are in huge demand over others so we thought we'd have to spend a, a few minutes talking about what's gone on in the last year yeah, or so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where demand's at at the moment but also importantly i think uh, it's of interest to buyers and sellers. What actually drives demand for mm. dental practices? Yeah. So where are we at the moment, would you say? Uh, well, I think we can say quite safely that demand is super strong. Um, I don't know, really. I mean, how we, we've owned Frank Taylor's nearly 22 years, isn't it, yeah. in October, I think. Um, and I think I would feel reasonably confident saying this is probably the strongest demand I think I've ever seen. Mm. I mean, what, what's your... Sort of I think it is. It. I think as we've we've always kind of taken the view that when change happens mm-hmm. and takes place, change always tends to spark movement in the market. And without a shadow of a doubt, when when the original lockdown came in March 2020, uh, associates who make up 99% of the buyers in the UK, yep. they were kind of left high and dry. Definitely. In the, Definitely. There were no government grants available. Um, dental practices were shut, so they couldn't earn any money. And it left them feeling quite exposed mm-hmm. and vulnerable there was no earning potential and for many of them they then took stock and said well is my long-term future in practice ownership and mm-hmm. we saw a significant increase in the number mm-hmm. of dentists registering to buy dental practice well, do you remember we yes. had a couple of guys didn't we who were uh, you know that the, the old adage that you should always have three months of your mm-hmm. uh, you know three months of your outgoings expenses as savings yeah. as you can cope with three months and basically, they just burnt through them, mm. so they didn't have any money. And I think it's uh, uh, that has been definitely a contributing factor to the demand. Mm. Um, and I think also for you know those guys listening, um, don't listen to the people who tell you that the values are low. <laughs> um, and that banks won't lend because guess what? They're the people mm. who want to buy. And also from a buyer's point of view, the risk is if you're listening to people who are saying the banks aren't lending and the values are low. When you then go to view practices or you receive a prospectus, you feel you're going to put in a low offer yeah. because you've believed what you've heard and you're going to miss out on a practice. Yeah. And the reality is the majority of practices across the UK, there's more people wanting to buy them than there are practices available. You know, simple, the economics of supply and demand. You know, the demand for most practices way outstrips the supply. Definitely. And definitely. that's what's kind of pushing those values up. Yeah, definitely. I think also what's, <coughs> what's interesting is that, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that the message that we've been, we and other people have been saying over the last 12 months, mm. two years, you know, probably the, for as long as I can remember, which is the fact of there are people wanting to buy a dental practice. The banks are happy to lend. But I can tell you, Two weeks ago, I had an email from a client that I've been dealing with, um, and, and he's thinking about selling his practice. And he said, "Oh, you know, I've uh, I've been told that that values have dropped, and that the banks aren't lending money." And I said, "Who have you been talking to?" And I said, "I bet you've been talking to 
a multiple or a corporate. Mm. And he came back and said, hmm. <laughs> he didn't say mm. yes or no, but the answer is I'm pretty and sure. I, and I get it. Driving and, and, the price and, I was going to say everyone's, everyone's got their own business to look after and everyone's got their own agenda. Um, and if you're on the buying side, of course, you don't want to pay any more than, mm. than you absolutely need to. And I guess our job is to value practices independently. And quite historically, you know, Frank Turner Associates, I'm sure it happens to the other brokers as well. We kind of get... Um, you know, blamed for high values. And in essence, all we do is we reflect what someone's prepared to pay. Yeah. And because of the increased demand, values go up. Mm. And because of that lockdown experience, for lots of associates, it, it scared them. And the reality is that only a business, because dentistry is, is an intense business when you're a clinician working away, mm. if you can get to an environment where you own an asset that can continue to reduce profit when you're not physically in the business, and, and by in the business I mean a dentist working clinically chair side, mm. then that asset's going to produce a profit year on year for you. So ongoing, I can see why owning a business is attractive. Yeah, and I mean, if we circle back to that, uh, your comment about, you know, the, the values are high that we overvalue. It, it, when you actually stand back and look at it, 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 it's complete nonsense, isn't it? You know, us... Uh, and we can only go on our experience we get paid when a deal completes mm. so the logic is is it worth our time overvaluing practices to put to the market that we can't sell mm. because <clears throat> guess what it's a cost with no income mm. so it's not logical if you actually no. truly think about it the only reason that we would value high is because we think we can sell it for that because if we don't sell it we don't get mm. paid and i just think i just find that's a bit weird really mm. i think also whilst the demand is high and there's lots of talk about you know i need to buy a dental practice i'm going to set up a squat you know i don't, I don't want to be an associate anymore i think it's a real risk that people jump on that bandwagon of ownership because that's what their mates are doing that's what everybody else yeah, is doing yeah definitely. and i just say to people just really understand why you want to own a practice don't buy a practice because you got spooked through covid don't mm. buy a practice because your mate's got one you know, don't buy a practice because you think it gives you elevated status you mm. know really dig deep and understand why you own a practice because you know we know we own a number of businesses only a business is, is not an easy ride no it's not it's not the safe and easy route to go down there's challenges that come with owning a business mm. and if you want to own a business then then absolutely go for it mm. but I think understanding why you want to own a business is important because I, I firmly believe that lots of the people who registered to buy a practice during those lockdown days, I, I'm not sure they're the right people to own a business. And I think it probably no, was a bit no. of a knee-jerk reaction. It was, a, definitely, definitely. I think you mentioned it there. I think one of the interesting things that that has come out probably in the last two years, and it was always there before, but the, the number of people who have shown an interest in wanting to set up a squat, <clears throat> but mm. then actually have turned, I, I think you were saying, wasn't it? You, you know, you, how many people did you have? You've contacted you and then how many people have actually gone yeah, on to do I, it? I'd say I probably over a three month period, I probably spoke to 20 people who all wanted, um, uh, yeah, an explanation as to what are the key milestones to go through in setting up a squat. And 
the, the, the start point is, you know, think about location and, and all the other bits and pieces, but also to just sketch out a very loose business plan and do a forecast. And 99% of people mm. didn't get beyond that first stage. And I think it's because the idea is exciting. The thought is, 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 you know, exciting. But the actual nuts and bolts of what you need to do is, it's, mm. you know, the, the effort required is, is off the charts. Mm. And, it's nothing like buying a business, and that's yeah, why yeah. you pay a handsome amount for goodwill because someone's done it before you. Yeah, and I think that's you know that's another factor, isn't it, that drives the value is that there there do seem to have been a lot more people interested in doing their own thing and wanted to set up a squat, mm. but the reality when they have to start really thinking about mm. it they'll just decide to go and buy an established practice because mm. it's safer. And I think that's that itself has also been another contributory factor to demand staying high for practice because there weren't those number of people who wanted to set up squats. So no. you didn't get that sort of almost, I, I want to I want mm. set up my practice, set up my practice. Up, yeah, it'd be great. Oh, no, no, it's a bit mm. hard work. I'll but, tell you what, I'll buy another one. But I know, I know several dentists who, are, who I've spoken to who – initially thought they wanted to set up a squat and now they're buying established dental practices mm. and i think i definitely know for one of them for sure there is um, an increased appreciation of what they're actually paying for mm. and having looked at a squat as a as an option now buying goodwill they they better understand what mm. it is they're buying you know, it's not just oh it's a practice with patients everything that goes into it really if you think about it if you think that in I was just thinking, as you were saying about the the finances, if you think to set up a squat, it's probably going to cost you a minimum quarter of a million. I'd have thought, yeah, something bo- like bottom that. end, bottom uh, end. You know, yeah. So, 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 let's say you spend a quarter of a million pound on a Billy Basics squat. I mean, it will look nice, but you probably won't be able to fund that from the bank. Mm. So, your property asset finance, which is maybe four years, so you've then got a repayment burden, even what's that, one hundred twenty five, sixty two grand a year before any interest mm-hmm. whereas if you bought an established practice with an existing fee income that 62,000 would probably pay you it would buy you a significantly more valuable established practice mm-hmm. so from a financial probably commitment it's probably less and safer mm-hmm. Um, because it's not cheap to set no, up a squat. No, and it's that thing you say about the numbers as well. I also think something that's driving demand is the the support of the banks. Mm. You know, lots of people thought that coming out of the pandemic, the banks were going to be cautious, not looking to lend, um, being quite careful over how mm. they approach markets. But as we've seen, healthcare has always remained green light, and d- dentistry is kind of the darling of healthcare. Yeah. So the banks are continuing to lend, and I think that's given lots of prospective purchasers the confidence to move forward because as we know you know 99 of purchasers do need a bank loan mm. and if the banks aren't supporting the sector then that becomes quite challenging but they are mm. supporting the sector despite what different quarters are saying they are supporting the sector and they were quite positive weren't they you know i, I remember sitting on numerous webinars <laughs> as we both did um and people saying oh banks aren't going to be funding money blah practice values da, da, da. And, and we went down the route of saying we're going to value before as if it was before covid and if by the time we get to exchange mm. it doesn't look like that we'll revisit it and i remember the banks were quite comfortable 
that we spoke yeah. to took the same view. And also, I, I, you know, as, as that developed, do you remember that there was banks saying, well, you know, if you get within 75, 60%, 65% mm. of turnover, we'll, we'll probably go with it. So they were supportive from a very, very yeah. early stage. <clears throat> yeah. And I think, as you said, I think that, that created a, a confidence across the board mm. that the banks aren't going to let you drop Mm. Um, and I think the other good thing is that the the valuations, when the bank does its valuation, um, I would think the vast majority are coming out in line with where our valuations are, which yeah. is encouraging. Because obviously, if they were if they weren't, then that causes a problem. For, yeah, for I think the, seller, the sales progression team are saying I think it runs at about ninety six percent of wow. bank valuations match our own valuation sale figure, which is which is great. What what's your take on? Um, has there been a change in the demand for practices across the country? Because pre-COVID, it was always really mm. centres around the large cities. And then you always kind of had that concentric circles and ripple effects coming out mm. of those major conurbations. Would you say that's that's changed in terms of demand? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, the housing market's changed, <coughs> isn't it? You know, mm. people... Uh, I'd be interested to see if the housing market stays as it is. Mm. But, you know, a lot of people working from home went and lived in middle of nowhere, found out they didn't have a very good Wi-Fi system signals, <laughs> so they weren't really doing that great I, I was listening i read an article a couple of months ago about some couple who'd moved you know to the seaside or something for and now they've got to go back into the office and the only way they can make the commute bearable is they both have to stay in a hotel for two nights a week wow so you then <clears> add <throat> the cost of the hotel to your travel and you're probably not saving money you know okay their, their quality of life would be better but i think that's one thing that has definitely changed is that the the practices in those areas that traditionally we would mm. have said would be unpopular have become popular. I'm not saying all areas, you know, mm. there's still areas that are, um, I think that the key thing is some of those ones that are more uh, remote or maybe more touristy, mm. I think the difference is that their lifestyle purchases, not, Mm. business purchases well it's funny we were talking on another episode to, to some guys about work-life balance and how that has changed for so many people and that would fit with with what you said that some of more rural locations and perhaps seaside type practices would meet that test in that it's not just about work it's putting yourself in an environment which gives you a good work-life mm. balance and also minimizes your travel time mm. you know lots of people have an hour hour a day each way commute that's mm. two hours out of your day where for most people it's just unusable mm. travel time whereas if you can get a practice in a local area to you yeah that's a significant you had that over over a week or a month or a mm. year that's a lot of time to be using on something else do you find though that people don't necessarily <coughs> understand that because the practices say in um in Cornwall, that the multiple will be different than North London. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think on, on, on that point, so what you're talking about there is um, goodwill is represented as a multiple of, of reconstituted net profit. <clears throat> and even though we were just kind of talking up the rural locations, they still are at a lower level. And the the top end and the bottom end of say a practice in Hertfordshire is still going to be significantly higher than the top mm -hmm. end and the bottom end of a practice in Cornwall and it comes down to desirability so whilst those rural locations have become more popular let's say if we had a 
a mixed income leasehold practice in Hertfordshire. Um, as a rough guess, I'd say there'd probably be about 2,300 people registered mm-hmm. with Frank Town Associates, roughly looking for a practice of that style. If you went to a mixed income leasehold practice in Cornwall... It's the same practice. <clears throat> yeah, same profile. I think you'd probably be down at something like 350 mm. people, something yeah. in that order. So you're looking at the audience is now only 15% of what it would have been mm-hmm. in Hertfordshire, and that kind of sets that cap and collar in terms of that value. And I think you're right. I think people um, assume that countrywide, it's just a multiple. It's one multiple, But, yeah. but the multiple is very significantly. But then from a value for money point of view, um, oh, if yeah. you can move away or you don't need to be in one of those large cities, um, the value for money is amazing because very often the profitability is the same. You know, you might be looking on the accounts profitability of 25, 28% and adjusted profit up into the mid 30s for both practices. Mm. But your, your living costs, your delivery costs and all the lifestyle that goes with it really works well. However, we know from, from the years we've been doing this that people are still not as keen to buy in, in rural locations. The city's yeah. accepting you're going to be paying a handsome premium mm. for those areas. That's right, that's right. So it's a, and, and it's a classic demand and supply curve. You know, mm. that's the, if no one wants to buy your practice, then the answer is its value is limited. Yeah. If loads of people <clears throat> want to buy your dental practice, mm. the value is what someone will pay for it. And I always think that's quite an interesting one as well. You know, there's some practices that achieve a premium. I mean, I had one today, a conversation with a guy buying a, uh, you know, he put an offer in the practice. Uh, I think we put it on, a, I think it was three million or something. Mm. And this guy said, uh, yeah, well, we've done all our numbers, da, 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 da. Uh, the best we can offer is 2.5. Mm. And I said, well, that's great, but we've already offers of asking price and above. Mm. And he was like, really? And I said, yeah. I said, but everybody will use their own model, mm. whether it be an owner-manager, whether it be a partnership, yeah. whether it be a small multiple, a big multiple, a large corporate, mm. whatever it might be. But he's they not choose their I was going to say, his, his offer of two and a half isn't wrong. No. By their own structure and systems and metrics and assessment, for them, it's two and a half. Somebody else has looked at yeah. it and they feel they can bring an efficiency in somewhere or cost saving yeah. or, or increased fees with additional services, whatever it might be. And they feel that practice is, is worth more. So value is always going to be what someone's prepared to pay for it. And as we know, when we value dental practices, you know, it's, it's a bit of science and quite a lot of art. Mm. And it's never going to be an exact figure. It's a it's a guide. It's comparables, isn't it? I, I, I remember there's been. I, I remember one quite vividly. It was a practice that I think it was a Perio practice, or it might be an Ender. I can't quite remember now. And and it, you know, based on where it was and based on the type of practice it was, we valued it at X pounds. And then um, a, a corporate or a mini corporate <coughs> look, had looked at it and said, right, well, actually, we really want to acquire this because we can put our own mm. referrals into it. So they had this hidden marriage value. Almost like a hub. And it sold, it sold for more than we'd valued mm. that. And, and that's occasionally what happens, especially sometimes with those referral practices. But the key thing is you have to put it in the market because you'll yeah. never find that out otherwise. Mm. You know, you'd never sell your house, which is the first person who knocked on your door and said, oh, by the way, I think no. your house is lovely. Can I pay... 500,000 for it. You go, oh, that's lovely. Thanks very much. Let me just find someone else. Give me a, mm. a value that I want to see where it is. Mm. But I, it does amaze me the number of sellers who sort of, I don't know, it's, it's strange mm. really, considering how cost conscious 
a lot of dentists are you know they're they're really good sniffers out of value mm. and then there's almost like someone comes along and they're like oh but the differences <laughs> but the differences can be significant yeah, you know we yeah. both remember that case from a few years ago now where the owner of the practice was selling it was their solicitor that said you know give oh. frank turner associates a call uh, we looked over the numbers and they ended up selling the practice after fees and commission and everything and they walked away with four hundred and twenty thousand pounds yeah. more for their practice and that's that's a life-changing amount of money yeah. and yes uh, you know our job is to get the best amount possible for, for the person that owns a practice because that's who we act for but there is also something about it being fair in that if that's what your business is worth and that represents in the majority of cases a significant part of your life's work you should really be looking to get the yeah. the right amount for your practice but that's the power of the open market you know yeah. we talk a lot about the open market and, and as you say open people choose don't they you mm. know we don't you know you don't hear the 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 sales team upstairs the client managers saying no you got to pay this amount of money you got to pay this amount of money they say to people it's your choice you mm. choose because you know what you want to pay you know what your finances are yep. and I, I think also there's that thing about what are you comfortable with i still remember and it goes back a few years so uh, somehow a million pound nowadays doesn't seem quite as much as a million pound in 2004 or whatever it was because it was when we were our old building before mm. we bought our own one and uh, i remember this guy put an offer in of a million quid or something or no it's a bit more than a million he had to borrow a million right and uh, he put his offer in paid his deposit and then basically like a day later rang up and said Look, i'm really sorry i i just can't cope with this can i have my money back and I mean, as it was, it was only a day. There were yeah. other people, so we, we gave him his deposit back. But what was interesting was the fact of um, he had not been able to sleep with the thought of a million pound loan. Mm. And and it, it was so brilliant that he, he identified it really quickly, cancelled it, because imagine if he'd have gone three, four, five, six months down the line. One, oh, horrible. he'd have lost his deposit. Mm. Two, he'd have incurred legal fees. The seller would have incurred legal fees. But imagine the, the increased stress and anxiety for that person oh, yeah, going through the process where they know it's not right and oh. they, keep, they, they keep paddling a canoe towards a waterfall. And yeah. you know at some point that yeah, canoe's yeah. going to go over the waterfall yeah. and, and you can't let that happen. Yeah. So the, the stress that creates, and it goes back to that thing that, you know, practice ownership isn't for everybody, but also you've got to find the right practice. Yeah. You know, if your skill is managing a small team, then you might want a one, two surgery practice, yeah. perhaps a team of six or seven people. It's containable. You know, they're almost like an extended family. If you've got great leadership management skills mm. and you're all about protocols and systems and you want a four or five surgery practice, that would be the right one for you. Mm. But it is finding the, the right practice to suit you and your, your and, situation. Uh, and sometimes the thing is, you know, to start off smaller, and cut your teeth see what i did oh, there very smart. Very and then smart. then you develop your skills you know i can't remember with this guy but i think he bought a practice and it was only like half a million pounds six hundred thousand mm. but he felt so much better with that level because he didn't feel like he was going to be mm. under so much stress now subsequently uh, and i honestly don't know you know he could well have gone on yeah. to buy a much bigger practice because he'd got himself sort mm. of comfortable with it because i'd I mean, I only go back to us, you know, what we, we work for a bank, you know, we work for a bank, we did some business and, you know, all various bits and pieces and we understood dentistry and professions and commercial banking and all that stuff. 
and then we bought a business and we had a loan <laughs> and i can remember it. it's all a bit different isn't it you know it's very funny it's, it's great when you're looking at someone's accounts and bits of paper when it's not your money but when it's your money that you've borrowed <laughs> yeah i think it's being an advisor where there's no consequences for the decisions yeah. and the actions that you're you're suggesting when it's you and it's your loan and they're your team and it's their families that are dependent on the decisions you're making and it's your family and my family those decisions they hang a bit heavier mm. and some people can cope with that and some people thrive in that environment and some people don't and being comfortable with the risk and the reward is is important because mm. i think you need to get comfortable with reward because that has its own implications yeah. but you've also got to be comfortable with risk because being in business is risky you will be making decisions on a you know hourly basis that will change the direction of your business and and that's not not for everybody um would you remember i i i vividly remember just after we bought it when uh, the business was much smaller uh, everybody and there weren't many people and uh it, it wasn't anywhere near the size it is now. And and because we hadn't taken over any cases, because we were paying those out, we had a, a cash flow moment. Mm. And I can remember yeah. us talking about it again. We've got people's, I think there's only like one other salary person apart from me and you, I think, but I can't remember them. And we, but we still thought, you know, that person their mortgage yes. is going to be paid by the decisions that we make. And I think it really struck me then that, you know, if we make a bad decision, which costs us a lot of money, then the answer is that affects mm. people that are employed by us and work with us. And that's some, some people just can't carry that burden upon them. Mm. Um, you know, for but you as time I, goes on, you get better at making decisions. Yeah, because you have to. You you yeah. you, you have to. Well, what was that thing? Like? <clears throat> now you said something about what's it? Barack Obama. What was that? Yeah, Barack Obama says fifty-one percent. Once yeah. you get to fifty-one uh, percent, you should make a decision yeah. because that's a majority. But also being brave enough and, and having the the confidence in yourself mm. to change your decision in light of new information. I think it's a great one. And that other, do you remember that Blake with the, uh, um, the, whatever that plane was, the Eurofighter, and he had that phrase where you just have to break the pencil. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great one because we in the bank are taught to analyse, aren't we? Mm. And the danger is you can, uh, uh, was it analysis paralysis? Yeah. And I think sometimes when you look at these things, you know, whether you're running a practice or whether you're buying a practice mm. or whatever, you just have to break the pencil but and also, say, right, that's it, I'm but done. But also <laughs> lots of the decisions you make in business, whilst they feel enormous, it's rare that that single decision is so huge it's going to, ruin your business yeah you you, you can adjust and adjust and adjust i think being able to stay nimble on your feet is is the thing that helps you do you think do you think the demand for dental practices is likely to change in the next year or so it's i i don't think so i think you know there's a lot of talk isn't there about um NHS practice, i'm giving up my contract i'm gonna sell my practice da 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 um and yes, it is happening, but at the moment, those practices that are being sold with NHS contracts are as popular as ever, mm. if not more popular than they've ever been before. And I, and I, I still think, I, I, I think it goes back, you know, I'm an old 
fart in this world of dentistry. So I saw a contract in 1990. I saw the new contract in 2006. And every time, whenever there's a change, there's a lot of uproar. But dentists are really smart people, and they mm. work it out. Mm. And then they, they turn it into an income generator for themselves and i think you know okay there's going to be lots of challenges with nhs there's going to be challenges with staff mm. and paying people and all that sort of thing self-employed status but i still believe at the end of it they'll they'll be okay you know because they will you know it might be they have to write, increase their prices or whatever it might be mm. but <clears throat> i still think demand in 12 months time will be as strong as demand is now. I think the interesting thing will be, as as we were talking about the other day, the private fees. Yeah. Well, they've obviously seen, a, well, on the practice we've seen, a huge surge in the last year to mm. 18 months. Um, and it will be interesting to see over the coming year or so um, how they hold up, mm. but also for those practices that may no longer continue to offer NHS dentistry. Um, whether they become, whether they stay as pure private fees or whether they move on to a capitation scheme mm. of some sort or other, um, whether there's going to be some, some readjustment in terms of the types of services delivered. Mm. Um, obviously, clearer liners have been hugely huge in the last year. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects income as well. I think also you, you hit it on the, one of the other things that I've seen change is, um, that introduction of the capitation, you know, mm. if, if, if you think, uh, you know, practice plan, den plan, smiley plan, whatever, your bloody plan, whatever, <laughs> um, everything's got a plan, doesn't it? Um, they they were popular, but never seemed to be, you know, out of, I don't know how many million patients there are registered, they, they never seemed to yeah be good stuff and then oh, but then from talking to the guys they've had their best years ever oh yeah and i think a lot of dentists we've seen are saying yeah i'll take you on as a new patient however mm. you've got to join my plan mm. because there's no doubt about it during that lockdown period and and subsequent to that mm. those guys who had a plan they felt a darn sight safer than those people on private i think if you were in nhs you received to be paid if you had a plan-based income you received to be paid because very few patients yeah. cancelled their direct debits if you were an independent private practice that got paid as you deliver treatment mm. um, you were shut for yeah. for three months as a minimum no money. so that, no that that hurts but also i think from a practice point of view it certainly helps balance cash flow so there's a good reason to have plan-based income we know the banks like plan-based income for the same reason. But also, I think from a patient point of view, um, where it's just a basic plan which gives you, you know, a, an examination with a dentist and perhaps some hygiene appointment, it does mean that from an oral health point of view, uh, where you're paying for a service ongoing, you're much more likely to visit on a regular basis. Mm. So there's there's few downsides to it. Mm. Um, so I think we could well see a, a change in the mix yeah, of income I agree. I over agree. the next year or two. And I think if you if you extend that out, that's then going to be great for the maintenance of values and fee income and profitability. Yeah. Uh, and and I think the demand. So going back to the demand thing, I think it would just be interesting because it's the you know I, I don't know. I've been in dentistry for uh, thirty years. Practices never shut for three months. No. Oh no, <laughs> it's unheard of. Did, unheard did of. have a practice? As far as I'm aware, I don't think ever since the establishment of dentistry have practices every practice shut. 
Hmm. for three months oh remarkable and, uh, and and on that particular point i think you know um i think we found out as as the same time as dental professionals found out when it appeared on the ticker tape on the the daily covid briefing yeah i think that's when people found out which is remarkable and ridiculous at the same time <laughs> talk about communication um, but yeah I, I think we're through it now demands up and i imagine it's going to stay there for a while to come yeah yeah no i think it's uh, it's good times good times yeah. thank you for listening to this episode of dentology where we discuss the business of dentistry if you like what you heard please do subscribe where you found this episode that would be amazing and also follow us on instagram